Haunted Nights, live with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross. First things first, we would like to thank W.J. Pierce for creating and performing that music. And uh, good evening, and welcome to Thorny Cross Haunted Nights Live, where your hosts, Alyssa Cross and Tamara Thorne, thank you for joining us. Uh, before we begin, uh, we want to tell you a little bit about the latest Thorny Cross uh, work, what we're doing, uh, the Ravencrest Saga, Shadowland. <laughs> Um, I know it's not really a book yet, is it? Uh, as always, I know I'm looking. <laughs> as always, our Ravencrest books are first released in serialized installments. Last month, part one, titled Poltergeist, was published. In Poltergeist, Ravencrest Manor is plagued by a practical joking spirit, and in the Raven Woods, an elemental force awakens from a long sleep. Strange Encounters continues the story. Yes, it does. In part two, someone is watching. A mysterious dark figure watches from the tall cliffs as Grant and Belinda practice magic by a seaside tide pool. And something is waiting. Things take a dark turn when Belinda revisits the cool black waters of Nyad Pond deep in the Raven Woods. And somewhere in the house, the poltergeist grows stronger, tormenting the staff in twisted new ways. A new employee is drawn to the east wing by the spectral whispers of the three sisters, and the evil within Ravencrest Manor begins spiraling out of control. I can never say that word. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Strange Encounters Part 2 of Shadowland will be available in ebook next week on Amazon. Uh, You can find the first three full-length novels titled The Ghosts of Ravencrest, The Witches of Ravencrest, and The Ravencrest Saga Exorcism, in paperback or ebook at Amazon and all other retailers. Uh, again, this is Thorn and Cross Haunted Nights Live. You can learn more about what we do at our websites, alistaircross.com and tamarthorn.com. You can visit our mutual blog at thornandcross.wordpress.com. If you tweet, our handles are at crossalister and at tamarthorn. You can also visit our Haunted Nights Live page on Facebook or find us on Instagram at, at thornandcross or at official underscore alistaircross. For more information on the show, you can visit Authors on the Air on Facebook, Twitter, and at AuthorsOnTheAir.com. This is a broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, LLC. All right, tonight uh, is YA night, young adult night, and that means that we are joined with our friend and co-host, QL Pierce. And before I turn the show over to her, I'm going to tell you a little bit about her. Uh, Q is our multi-award winning co-host tonight. She's the author of Scary Stories for Sleepovers and over 150 other books for middle grade and young adult readers. Her latest, Spine Chillers, is available now in ebook and paperback at Amazon. For more about Q, you can visit her at qlpierce.com. All right, welcome aboard, Q. Take it away, and thank you for being on. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, thank you so much. Um, I'm, I'm very, very excited tonight. Our guest tonight, author Stephen Barnes, once said, I never asked for an easy life. I asked to be strong enough to survive an authentic one. Stephen is a true Renaissance man. He's published many works of science fiction, fantasy, and mystery. He writes novels, short fiction, scripts for comic books, and screenplays for television. 
He's also a highly skilled practitioner of martial arts, Tai Chi, yoga. He holds black belts in judo and karate. And if I try to list his major accomplishments and awards, I won't have time to ask him any questions. So let's get started. Welcome, Stephen. <laughs> Hi, thank you. That's all nice. <laughs> that's, that's, I always that's wanted short to, I always wanted to be the kind of person I'd want to meet. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, let's start out with um uh I looked at your bio and this this caught my attention. Was there a particular moment in your life when you realized that you wanted to be a writer? Yeah, it it I can tell you a very specific moment that I realized I wanted to be an entertainer. But the the question of what kind of entertainer I might be was still up in the air, and it was uh, I was in high school, and I had a you know bad junior high school experience like many of us do, and I was invisible in high school until uh, I was studying drama, and the leadership class asked if there was anybody in drama who could write skits because they wanted to do um, a talent show for uh, to clean up the campus, and I wrote them some skits, and they gave me the opportunity to perform in one, and I did a, a poem pattern after a comedian named Henry Gibson, who was on the laughing show. Yeah. Oh and yeah. Do you remember Henry Gibson? I do. Oh, <laughs> me too. Oh my God. Because if you do, I still, I can, I can tell you the poem that, that I, that I recited basically, you know, cause oh. he used to write, you know, tell, to say poems every week. So I walked out on stage with a big flower made out of shredded of newspaper. Oh yeah. And I said, the following, I cleared my throat. I said, a poem by Henry Gibson. Hmm. I like to look at trash heaps tall and towering to the sky. They're beautiful, yes, one and all, and made by you and I. Perhaps one day these glorious things to which we've given birth will take to flight on orange peel wings and conquer all the earth. Thank you. <laughs> I got this, man. I got this ovation. And after I did it, everybody in school knew who I was, and the guys were slapping me on the back, and the girls were looking at me for the first time, and I said, I know see you like this. <laughs> so that was, that was really a turning point in my life. I had a sense that, that, that there was something I could do that would, that would help people like me, see me, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, that was important. All right. Well, wow. let's move up to uh, 1979 to your first published uh, work of fiction, which was a novelette, okay. a Hugo Award nominee, The Locust, written with Larry Niven. How did that collaboration come about? Uh, well, I stalked him. Um, I had been in college, and I had been writing, and I hadn't been publishing very successfully. And then I think that I'd, I'd gotten paid. I got a lot of rejections, of course. I'd gotten paid in some contributors' copies. I got, you know, published something for a fifth uh-huh. percent a word, you know, that kind of thing. And I asked a friend of mine, you know, I need to find uh, a real writer, you know, because my, this, the way I've always operated is if I want to do something, I find somebody who can do it really, really well, and I get as close to them as I possibly can and model their behavior. Um, and so uh, my friend said, uh, well, Larry Niven and Jerry Pornell hang out at the Lossus Science Fiction Club in Burbank on Thursday night. And so I said, Larry Niven, Larry Niven, I know that name. So I, I went home and I took a look in my, my uh, 
collection of books, and I found a book by Larry Niven called All the Myriad Ways. It was a collection of short stories, and I read uh-huh. back to it. I'd read it, I'd read it once before, uh, and I, there was a short story in there called All the Myriad Ways, and I thought it was, a, it was an alternate time track story. I thought it was genuinely brilliant, and so armed with the capacity to, compl- to compliment him honestly, because I think honesty is really important when you start approaching people, um, I was able to, I, I, I walked up to him, I, I went to the Losses Clubhouse on Thursday night, and I walked up to him and I said, uh, hello, Mr. Niven, my name is Stephen Barnes, and I'm a writer. And he looked at me and he said, all right, tell me a story. Uh, <laughs> and I managed to, to, I'd gotten a story off in the mail earlier that day about a compulsive gambler who hawks his pacemaker. And um, I found out later on <laughs> that, from the way I'd come on to him, I had about 20 seconds to prove I wasn't an idiot. Uh, I managed to, to, to fumble out the outline of that story, and that was the beginning of a relationship. He read a couple more of my stories. He, he liked them. You know, uh, he gave me an opportunity to work with him. He said that he had a, a story he'd never been able to, to make work. Uh, mm-hmm. Would I be interested in taking a look at it? You know, and so... And I thought for about a millionth of a second and said, yes. <laughs> and I took a look yeah. at it. And, and I, I couldn't have helped him with the biology or the physics of his story. Um, but the psychology of the story was a little off. He, he didn't seem to understand some things about group dynamics that I understood. And I was able to crack the code on why, on why that story hadn't worked. And that became our first collaboration together. Oh, fantastic! So you you basically leaned into your strengths and took a leap. Yes, yeah, I, I absolutely right. did. You know, and it was terrifying, but you have to make the thing that you want bigger than the fear that stops you. Uh, that that's a big deal for writers. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, yes, so, it is. Yes, it is. It's not as big as it is for maybe actors, or comedians who actually have to, yeah. you know, risk themselves personally to do it. But it's it's horrible, and and you know human beings have, you know doubts and fears, and it, you have to look at that stuff directly and not pretend that you don't have them, and learn how to deal with them. You know, and because if you don't deal with them, they're going to deal with you. Excellent advice. Now, your latest novel that uh, just mm-hmm. came out last month, I think, uh, Starborn yes, of Godsack. Hey, that's yes. the third book in the. I'm going to say it wrong, Herat Herat series? Herat. Herat. The Herat series that started with uh, The Legacy of Herat, published in 1987. One reviewer wrote, Barnes gives us characters that are vividly real people, conceived with insight and portrayed with compassion and rare skill. And then he stokes the suspense up to levels that will make the reader miss sleep and be late for work. So would you give us a, I love that over, I'd love to get a review like that. Would you give us an over just a brief overview of the series? I know there are three books and yeah, this is the last Sure. It's it's basically about a, a group of human colonists on a on a planet called Avalon and um they make the mistake of misunderstanding the environment. And they they do something that and I don't want to say too much about it, they do something that puts them in direct conflict with an unknown threat on the island, that, on the planet that almost destroys them all. So uh, the first book was, uh, was Legacy of Hurit, and it, it deals with that very directly. 
The second one was the uh, Beowulf's Children, um, which takes the next generation. And then there was a novella that was published as, a, as an e-publication called uh, The Secret of Black Ship Island. Um, and then there, then there was the final novel, uh, which was uh, Starboard and Godsons, which was finished. I was done you know, with Larry Niven and Jerry Pornell, and it was finished just weeks before, you know, it was basically finished when Jerry passed away. We were able to, to complete yeah. the last chapter within a few weeks after, after he passed. Uh, and wow. it was um, very, I wanted so much to do that, but Jerry was not well at all. And I, I, owe, I owe Jerry and Larry so very, very much. Um, they gave me, they they really gave me my career in a lot of ways. Not that I wouldn't have created a career if I'd never met them, but right. the particular trajectory that I had, I owe to them. And I owe so much in terms of what I've learned. And they were wonderful to me, just wonderful. Well, I'm so glad that this, this third book has come out. And I, it, there was a span of about 30 years between the first and the last were you able to drop back into that world immediately, or, or was there a process in returning to Avalon? No, I was able to drop into it immediately. And, you know, the thing is that the, the first one was utter terror, you know, because, you know, working with two world-class New York Times best-selling, award-winning writers, ripping your prose apart at the same time was an experience that I was, I was not prepared for. You know, it was, it was just... You know, I, I loved it because I was able to, I felt I could tell I was learning at mock speed, but it was horrible. Yeah. It was terrifying at times. Um, the second Were one really was terrifying? business. Oh, God, yes. You know, Jerry, Jerry could be terrifying. I mean, it was, seriously, you know, he'd be ripping, you know, he, he, he'd be, you know, ripping my stuff apart, you know, sitting sitting on one side of the room while Larry's sitting on the other, and he, Jerry would be saying things like, ah, ha, 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 we're murdering Barnes's precious prose. <laughs> Barnes, was your mother scared by a gerund? You know? <laughs> but by the time we got to the third one, it was a pure labor of love. You know, it was just, I love these guys. I wanted to write a book that they would be proud of. I wanted to write a book that would that would represent our partnership and our friendship over the decades. So when you, when you approach something with that emotion that I, I, I want, I want them to be proud. I want, I want to let the, I want to, Jerry wasn't the kind of guy you could just say, you know, I love you too. He's the kind of guy, the old fashioned guy. He's kind of, you have to say, let's build a barn together. You know, it's, it, you know, we gotta <laughs> do stuff together. That's, that's that <laughs> guy thing. And so I didn't, yeah. you know, it was like, let's, this is the way for me to show him that I love him. Not by telling him, but by doing something that brings us all together. And for almost two years, every Thursday, I would drive out to uh, Jerry's house and we would, we would work and then we would go out to lunch and then I would go away and I would write text and I'd bring it back the next week and we would, we would work it over together. So it was, it was. Uh, I, I am extremely grateful that I had a chance to say goodbye. Oh, that's a wonderful story. <laughs> now, um, that that book is sci-fi, but there are. I've noticed in some of your work there there are some like uh, twelve days. I think there's some real elements of horror. Um, <laughs> do you think that sci-fi and horror hit some of the same notes, or do they not? 
But horror is an emotional tone. Science fiction is a genre that has to do with, you know, how do you get into the story? You're, you're doing something that has to do with, with a projection about technology or, or whatever it is. But, but you yeah. can write comedy science fiction. You can do horror science fiction. You know, the, 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 the genres can blend together. They're not opposed to each other. Alien is science fiction horror, for instance. You know, it, because yeah. horror is, from my point of view, it's the mood. If what is the dominant emotion uh, that you want the reader yeah. to feel? It's, it, if yeah. it's fear, then you, you're talking about a piece of horror, whether it's psychological horror or cosmic horror, like, you know, psychological horror like Silence of the Lambs, cosmic horror like H.P. Lovecraft, science fiction horror like Alien, supernatural horror like Frankenstein or, or, or Dracula. It, 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 it's, it's hot. You want the reader to feel a certain thing, and when that becomes the dominant emotion, then it's reasonable to call that thing horror. All right. Yeah. Um, You have written so many novels, but there are a couple that seem very timely right now. I know you know where I'm going. And they feature teen protagonists. Uh, That would be Devil's Wake and Domino Falls. And, uh, of course, that involves an infection that threatens life across the planet. Uh, Would you tell us just a very brief uh, little bit about that storyline and what was it like to collaborate with – your wife, Tanana Reed. Okay, so um, we wrote a short story together called Danger Word, you know, for an anthology. And it was about a little girl, a little, little, a little boy. No, 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 was it? Was it? Was it? Um, it was about a little boy who, who was being raised by his grandfather after a, a pandemic, you know, a, a zombie, you know, a, a, after the zombie apocalypse. Um, then we later on were thinking about a book that we could do. I, I, I forget whether the, the editor came to us or we went to them to propose a, a young a, a YA series. Um, we made it. Uh, we made the protagonist female instead of male, so that mm-hmm. we could have her. Um, we could have her in her teens with that kind of angst. Um, but what happens is that she is being protected by her grandfather, and then her grandfather gets bitten by a zombie, and she has to go out on her own. And she meets a group of kids who are all off in a sort of a reform school camp when civilization fell apart, so they were isolated from all this. And so it's about the world that they make. And we did, we did two of those, uh, Devil's Wake and Domino Falls, and they're actually uh, – there's a third one that, that is sitting in my, in my computer someplace – that has not has never been published uh, called Freak Freak oh, Show. No. Um, and one of these days, I, I sincerely hope that I'll have an opportunity to to uh, to publish that one because we actually do round the entire story. It, 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 we we actually uh-huh. solve the, the problem in the in, in the third one. It also becomes clear that we're dealing not just with the typical zombie infestation, but it's actually an alien infestation, and the zombies are one symptom uh-huh. of something else that's going on. So, you know, it, we could have run with those, but, you know, the, the economics, you know, affect what you can and can't publish. You know, I, I ha- you have to roll with it and keep going. Yeah. And, yeah. and you, did you two work out a deal of how you work together, or does it just come naturally? No, it doesn't come naturally at all. In fact, it can be very contentious when we first met. I mean, Tanonari is a world-class writer. I mean, she, she's wonderful, yep. and uh, uh, I, I, have no, I have no illusions about that. Um, so 
basically we would work out the structure of the story together, and then one or the other of us will write the first draft. Um, and you know which one of us wrote the first draft by whose name comes first on the book. So when we did four Ooh, mystery novels, okay. her name comes first on the book. When I wrote Devil's okay. Wake and Do- when we wrote Devil's Wake Domino Falls, my name comes first in the book. On some of the screenplays we've done, the Twilight Zone screenplay, my <laughs> name comes first in the screenplay. Okay. There are others where her name comes first on it. So, you know, it's planted together. One of us writes the first draft while the other one kibitzes, and then we rewrite. We, we write and polish it together. Um, and we make decisions on who's going to write that first draft based either on who's more deeply invested in the story or whose strengths the story plays to. Um, uh-huh. And or you know, and with the with the detective novel, um, she wrote the first draft, even though there was a male protagonist, because I wanted the core of that character to be very sweet. Um, that on the surface. He has, you know, skill, fighting skills and this and that. But underneath that, I wanted a very feminine aspect to his personality that would, that I thought would, would happen most organically if she wrote the first draft. Oh, all right. Oh, I'm learning all these little interesting yeah. insights. Thank you. <laughs> now, I, I, I do want to get to um, your television work. Um, you've written for so many beloved sci-fi series, including the tie-in novels for Star Wars and Star Trek and screenplays yeah. for shows on television, including Stargate and Andromeda and Twilight Zone. And uh, is there one lucky. sci-fi series on TV right now that you haven't written for that you would like to write an episode for? Wow, that's a good question. Um there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff on television right now. Um, I yeah. would like to I'd lo- love to get involved with some of the Marvel shows. And I was a uh-huh. I was an absolute Marvel geek when I was a kid. I love those movies. You know, I love the I love the shows, at least the ones that were on on Netflix, for instance. And the, what they have coming up on Showtime, you know, WandaVision and you know um, the uh, uh, what is it Falcon and the Winter Soldier and stuff like this. I would love to write one. Oh yeah, it would be that would be a uh, lot right. of fun. I've never you know we did oh, uh, a little bit in the Marvel universe, but I, I haven't written for, for television. I'd love to see what you do with it. Perfect. Now I have heard some news. Speaking of television, that you've recently written an episode for season two of Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone that stars Damon Wayans Jr. How did that come about? That's correct. Um, well, what, that came about once again through Tananari. You, you have to understand that she's got a little touch of magic about her. There's, there's some nonlinearity oh. about her, some stochastic aspect to who it is that she is. She's a witch, in other words. Um, what okay. happened is, is that she, she's in some ways the best integrated human being I've ever met in terms of being prepared for the life that that she wanted to have. And you can credit her mother with that. Her mom was a mommy tiger. No, no question about it. Her dad was a major civil rights lawyer in Florida. And so all that to say that she was teaching a class at UCLA in black horror, a very popular class. And she tweeted something about how they were going to be teaching Jordan Peele's get out. And somebody at Jordan Peele's company brought it to his attention. And he retweeted what she was doing, but he also sent her a message saying, 
ha ha, wouldn't it be funny if I snuck into your class while you were lecturing? And Tanana even showed that to me, and I looked at her and I said, you know. <laughs> and so we actually arranged, to, we actually smuggled him into her class. The, there's a film oh. clip of it someplace on the Internet. We, it, it was like the, the, the room was, was you know, the lights were turned out, and they were showing a video clip from Get Out, and we smuggled him in. He's wearing a hoodie, and he's crouched down in one of the seats. You know, and nobody knew who he was, although the guy sitting next to him, I think that he was sensing that something was up. And then the lights came back up, and Sonari starts talking to the class, and then she said, uh, you know, well, what do you think that the author of the film was trying to say about the commoditization of black bodies, you know, in, a, you know, in, in America? And Jordan raises his hand with his, with his face down, and she says, yes, you know, the gentleman in the back there, and he stood up, the class went berserk. I mean, oh. people were running out of the class crying. I mean, it was just, it was amazing. And he gave an hour lecture. He was so smart, so open-hearted. He had such a wonderful time. The kids were so bright. And the, the answers, it, they just loved him and he loved them. And it began a relationship. And, and because of that relationship, we had an opportunity to pitch to the first, on the first season of Twilight Zone. And that didn't work out. And then we were invited back to pitch again for the second season, and that time we got it across the line. Oh, wonderful. So when, when will we be able He's to He's a see terrific that? human being, by the way. He's a genuinely oh, I, brilliant I guy. I, yeah. do not, I don't think he had any idea how smart he was until he realized that he somehow caught the zeitgeist. I mean, that somehow what, what appealed to him also touched millions of people in a way that he'd never done before. I think that he would have been happy if his movie had made $10 million. And instead of that, it made it made a quarter billion dollars. Wow! Yes, that's right. That's right. He deserved it too. He's <laughs> genuinely brilliant. He's really sweet. He's very oh. genuine, and I'm honored. I'm honored to have had the opportunity to play with him. Like oh, I said, I've been very lucky. Now oh. I, I am running out of time, but I really want to ask you because you have. Other elements to your life, your martial arts training, a wide view of uh, martial arts, and your meditation training. Um, I know that you teach. I know that you uh, conduct classes and seminars. Yeah. How do, does martial arts and uh, meditation, how does all that work in together? Okay. Well, if, if people want to find out more about the teaching and things, they could check out our, the, the online version of our class it's called at sunkenplace.com sunkenplaceclass.com, www.sunkenplaceclass.com. What I can say about the martial arts is that at the core of things, art is self-expression. It's expression of, of, you know, there are two questions in the art, who am I and what is true? And so anything you do should be a constant inquiry into the nature of reality, what is true about the world and the nature of your being. Who are you? So the martial arts, are all about that. You know, the technique will not save you. Who you are at the moment of conflict and how accurately you perceive the situation, that will save you. The same thing is true in, in writing. You've got all this, def- this technique, but the technique is the service of creating human beings who, be- who behave the way human beings would behave 
given a given situation. So you're constantly going back to the, well, what would I do in that situation? And what is true about, you know, the ethical structure of the universe or whatever. So in some ways, what art you're in is the same inquiry. But at the core of it, when we talk about fear, you start talking about fear, the martial arts are all about dealing with your fear. They're all about dealing with your fear. So I have, I've lost Hello? my connection. What? No, I, I think you. you know what. I think I think we lost him. Um, but you know what? Mm-hmm. Um, we will uh, we will wrap this up. Uh, and um, uh, thank you, Stephen, for being on. If you can hear us, we will be in touch. And uh, we're sorry that we lost you. I'm not sure what's going on. But um, oh, it was- uh, yeah. So, but yeah, thank you, everybody, for what listening. A great and until next week. Yeah. We yeah, he was great. He was. He was. Uh, yeah. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and until next week, we wish you haunted nights. Sweet screams, and be sure to check under the bed before you turn off the light. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening. Haunted Nights, live with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross.